we gather in the name of this morning is an awesome God, and whenever His presence is felt and known by His people, it ought to evoke a sense of awe in us and worship of Him from us. I can remember the local hotel parking lots being filled with media cars for days, and I can remember the local law enforcement personnel being on heightened alert as they patrolled the town. I can remember churches across our city holding special prayer services for the events that had just unfolded. Two young gentlemen, two young boys, 11 and 13-year-old, about my age at the time, had shown up to Westside Middle School with guns and had opened fire on students and teachers, killing five and wounding ten others. I can remember this rattling our hometown for, for weeks. I remember local youth leaders and pastors talking about how they had reached out to the two shooters and gone to share the gospel of Jesus with them as they were in jail. And I can even remember my own youth pastor at the time, months after the events unfolded, sharing how one of these boys had given his life to Christ. Uh, He had become a Christian. And I remember thinking, how could this be? How could someone do something so terrible, so awful, so despicable, and then profess love and devotion to Jesus? How could a criminal become a Christian? How could a fugitive become a follower of Jesus? And then as I grew older and began to understand the message of the Bible in a deeper way, I began to realize that The God that we worship, the God of Scripture, specializes in doing just such things. That God often operates this way. That He often changes lives by His incredible saving grace. In fact, everyone who has recognized their need for a Savior and repented of their sin and come to Jesus can can stand with the Apostle Paul in declaring the words of 1 Timothy 1, verse 15 and 16. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Church, the God that we have come together in the name of this morning to worship and to hear from, to exalt His name, is a God who changes lives. A God who, by His incredible, matchless, forgiving grace, has changed life after life after life, transforming people from criminals, from sinners, and to followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, as we continue looking at the life of Jacob this morning from Genesis chapter 28, we will see that his own life fit this pattern as well. As Jacob, a deceptive man who had conned his father into stealing the blessing for himself, on the run for his own life, we we see how 
this, fug- this fugitive became a follower of God from God's word this morning. Let me invite you to open up your Bible with me to Genesis chapter 28 as we look at the story of Jacob and his encounter with the Lord through a dream. And as you're turning there, I want to set the context for this particular passage. Last week we looked at a story just prior to this one where where Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau, had worked with Jacob to deceive her decrepit husband Isaac into giving the blessing to Jacob instead of his favorite son Esau. And the result was that Jacob was, was now hated by his brother. In fact, we're told in chapter 27, verse 41, that Esau wanted to kill Jacob and planned to kill Jacob. So now Jacob is on the run for his life. He's been sent away from the home by mom and dad. He's been sent away to protect him from his brother, but also sent away to find a wife among his kinfolks in Haran. And this is where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. I want to invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's Word. Genesis chapter 28, beginning in verse 10. And there, God's Word reads this way. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. God said, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask, Lord, that you would now speak to us and teach us, instruct us through it by your spirit. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Jacob has set out on this journey running from his brother. And this is no short journey from Beersheba, where his family is, to Haran. This is an approximately 550-mile journey. And to put that in a little bit of perspective, I got one of those Garmin VivoFit things uh, when it was on sale as an early Father's Day present. And I was looking at it the other day, and it tells you, if you're not familiar with this, it's one of those... Uh, things that tells you how many steps you take in a given day and what that equals and uh, essentially how many calories you've burned and and, and how well you've slept at night. And uh, So looking at it yesterday, back from the time I got it, sometime back 
in early June until now, I've walked something like 254 miles. 254 miles. That's, that's sort of impressive to me. That sounds like a lot. But in three and a half months, I had not even, have not even walked half of the distance that Jacob had set out to travel. And so, needless to say, this is no, no day trip. He must stop multiple times along the way and find a place to rest. And, and one of those stops is the setting for our passage this morning. He has stopped to rest, and lay down, go to sleep. And in his sleep, the Lord appears to him through a dream. But imagine, before we look at the content of, of that dream and God's revelation to Jacob, imagine as Jacob set out on this journey, this long, difficult journey, what he must have been thinking and feeling. Here, after 40 plus years, he's booted out of his household. He's sent on his way, running from his brother who is planning to kill him. Certainly, yes, he has received the, the blessing that he was after. He's received in that sense what he wanted, but based on the the events that are unfolding, we cannot help but think he must have been wondering whether these promises, this blessing that had been passed to Abraham and then Isaac and now Jacob of a vast land and many descendants, if this was really going to find its fulfillment in his life. After all, if he was the promised heir, why is he having to flee the land? He falls asleep and has this dream and In this dream, he experiences God revealing himself to him. But I think the context of this journey likely was a position of doubt on behalf of Jacob. I think Jacob was likely doubting whether what he had been promised was really going to come about in his his own life. Have Have you ever doubted God? Have you ever struggled to reconcile belief in an all-powerful, sovereign, good, and merciful God with a cancer diagnosis, with a rebellious teenager, with job termination, with a destructive and devastating tornado, with the death of someone who's near and dear to you? Well, I think Jacob was likely doubting the fulfillment of God's plans in his own life here. And it's just in that moment that God appeared to Jacob through this dream and revealed himself to him to assure him of his plans. God's revelation assures his people of his protection and his provision. God's revelation, making himself known, assures his people of his protection and his Provision And God revealed himself through this dream. In this dream, Jacob sees this stairway with angels coming up and down the stairway, which in the context of this portion of God's word ought to remind us of another story in Genesis. Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, when, when man set out to, to build a tower, to build a stairway up to the heavens in order to make a name for themselves. An image that likely comes to mind Those that are studying this portion of God's word is a ziggurat or a pagan temple with stairs built up to to the gods and often had a meeting place at the top where it was believed that God might meet with the worshiper. And you can see a picture on the screen of of an image that resembles a ziggurat. This is a Mayan temple in Belize from last year's Belize team that had an opportunity to, to visit 
see these ancient ruins. And I'll be the first to admit that the stairs on that thing are a lot steeper than they look and a lot more intimidating than they look. But this is the idea here. But here in Genesis chapter 28, this is not an attempt from, from Jacob or from any other man to climb up to God. No, he has this dream of, of God's messengers, his angels, coming down to earth, bridging the gap, so to speak, between earth and, and heaven and coming to protect and to care for and to provide for God's people. And then God declares as the one who's sitting over this, the one who's above it, the one who's in charge, declares to Jacob that, that this land that you're going through, I am going to give it to you and to your descendants. And I am going to multiply your descendants like the dust of the earth. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring, he says. And then he tells Jacob in verse 15, and I'm going to be with you. I'm with you now, and I will be with you wherever you go. God reveals himself to this deceiver, this doubter, and says, Jacob, I am God, and I am with you, and I indeed am going to be faithful to the promises that I have made. When we doubt God's goodness and his love toward us, when we doubt his purposes and his plans, when we doubt our value and our worth in his eyes, we too should look to God's revelation for assurance. And we can find assurance through his written word. Look to the Bible for assurance. As believers in the God of Scripture, look to the Bible for assurance. There is a reason that we open up God's Word together as His people week after week. There's a reason that His Word guides what we do as a church as we come together to worship. For His Word is good. It is true. And it reveals His eternal plan of redemption for His people. It reveals His love for His creation and a theme that is found throughout His Word is that God is present with His people. God is is with us. And He's at work for our good. doesn't mean that the people of God will never experience hardship. certainly doesn't mean that the people of God will never experience tension or challenge or frustration or even come under attack. We were reminded just... A couple of days ago as we remembered that our nation's been under attack. That no one is immune from danger. We live in a world of, of danger. No doubt many people gave their lives on 9-11. Some believers and some unbelievers. But, but God's presence with His people as one who protects and provides for His people does guarantee that God is at work ultimately for the good of His covenant people. Ultimately, he is at work for, for our good. For the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob is with us. As the psalmist declared, we can declare the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Psalm 46, verse 7. We are reminded through the written word of God that God is a good God, that He has an eternal plan and a good plan. And we are also reminded through His incarnated word of His plans and purposes for us. We are to look to the Bible for assurance, and we can also look to Jesus for assurance.
Look to the Bible for assurance and look to, to Jesus for assurance as the written Word of God ultimately testifies to the coming of God Himself, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, God with us. And the written Word testifies that the Word became flesh. That God became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God has revealed Himself. His character, His purposes, His plans, His mercy, and His love through a man. And that man is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has come to us to save us from our sins. God's revelation to us, God's revelation through His written Word and through the person and work of Jesus Christ ought to assure us of His good and eternal plans for us. Learn that God's revelation assures His people from this story in Genesis chapter 28, but we also learn from Jacob's response to God's revelation that the proper response to God's revelation is worship and commitment. The proper response, the right response from the people of God to to God's revelation, to God making Himself known to us is worship and commitment. This was the response of Jacob here in Genesis chapter 28, and it's a response that we as people of faith are called upon to follow. Jacob awoke from his sleep, verse 16, and he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. Verse 16 strikes me. when Jacob says, surely the Lord was here, and I was not, I wasn't even aware of it. I didn't even know God was here. And in this particular case, in this story, I'm not sure that Jacob could have missed the presence of God. God made himself clearly known to Jacob through this dream, but I wonder how often we might miss the presence of God. How often we might fail to recognize the voice of God. Have you ever been absolutely certain that God was speaking to you? Or have you ever been certain that you were in the presence of God? And how did, that, how did that make you feel? What was your response, the right response, the proper response to God's revelations, worship and commitment? And I have to be honest and say that these sort of questions make me a bit uncomfortable because of all of those that have attributed something to God that was not really from God. Most often, God makes Himself known through His Word and He never reveals Himself in a way that contradicts His Word. Never speak something to us that's not consistent with with His Word. But He does make Himself known to His people. He has revealed Himself to us through His written Word. He has revealed Himself to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the right response to His revelation is worship and commitment to Him. And one component of our worship of God ought to be reverence for God. Respond to God's revelation in reverence. As people of faith who believe in the God of Scripture, we ought to respond to His revelation in reverence. This was the response of Jacob in verse 17. He's, he was afraid. Woke up from this room and said, How awesome is this place? Fear. The Bible speaks of fear before the Lord, and there ought to be a sense of awe as 
we respond to the Lord making Himself known to us. As we come into His presence, there ought to be some sort of mixture of, of reverential fear and adoration. This is captured well in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as children are gathered together in Mr. and Mrs. Beaver's home and they hear about Aslan, the mighty king, the lion who represents God in the story. And Mrs. Beaver says this about Aslan. She says, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking They're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, Lucy asked. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Folks, the God that we worship is is not a safe God. He is the God of armies. He is the eternal king. He is the righteous and everlasting judge. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the one and only matchless God. But church, he is good. He is good. And we ought to approach him in worship with a sense of reverence for who he is. For even the demons believe in God and shudder. James chapter 2 verse 19. Yet... On the other hand, we know from God's word that that we as believers who've been reconciled to God through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ can approach God boldly, confidently knowing that Jesus paid it all. That He paid our sin. And so God no longer looks at us and sees us as guilty, but He sees us with the innocence of, of Christ. Even so, to approach God in reverence is to Not approach Him flippantly. Not to approach Him as a giant teddy bear or as a best pal. He is God. But to approach Him in confession and adoration and worship, but confidently knowing that He loves us and He's extended His compassion and grace and mercy toward us. And He has adopted us to be His children. And we will never be separated from His eternal love. Respond to God's revelation in in reverence. And we also learn here from Genesis chapter 28 that we ought to respond to God's revelation with devotion. Respond to God's revelation with devotion. Verse 18 tells us that Jacob realized that God had revealed himself to him. and He took some steps. He took the stone that was next to his head and he built a pillar commemorating that spot, perhaps similar to what we do on the highway sometimes when big crosses are constructed in order to catch people's attention and draw their memory to an event. Commemorating this spot as a place where God made Himself known to to Jacob. And then He poured oil on top of the pillar as an expression of worship, as an expression of sacrifice and devotion, similar to, to making a sacrifice to to God, And then he named the place. He renamed the site. It's no longer Luz, but it was Bethel, meaning the house of God. For he knew that God had appeared to him there, that God had made himself known 
to Jacob there that God was with him there. We learn from Genesis chapter 28 that we ought to respond to God's revelation in reverence. We ought to respond to God's revelation with devotion. And third and finally, we should respond to God's revelation with substance. Respond to God's revelation with, with substance. Jacob then made this vow to God, taking God at his word, saying, God, because you have done this, because you've appeared to me, because you have called me out as one of yours, and you've promised to care for me and to lead me and to protect me and to provide me, I am going to devote my life to you. I will follow you. I will worship you here. And I will give you a tithe, a tenth of all that you have given me and, and will give me as, as one of yours. This is the kind of response that God desires from his people. Response of substance of genuine faith in Him, trust in Him, and devotion to to Him. Jesus was speaking, was saying some things that drew big crowds and doing some things that drew the masses, but then He was also saying some things that caused many to desert Him. On one such occasion, the crowds were deserting Him because what He was saying was too difficult to, to accept. And He looked to His disciples John chapter 6, verse 67, he said, You do not want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now we remember Peter for saying some, some foolish things. For denying Christ, for... His words on the Mount of Transfiguration. But this is not one of those things. For Jesus indeed has the words of eternal life. He is the Messiah who has come from God. Who has been appointed by God to save the world from their sins. Through his substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. He is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And on another occasion Jesus was speaking. And he was picking up on the very story of Jacob's ladder, recorded in Genesis chapter 28, and in John chapter 1, verse 51, he said this to his disciples. He said, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open, as Jacob did in this dream. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, a reference to himself. They were saying that, that I am the Lord's appointed Messiah. For the story of Jacob... And Jacob's ladder was only a precursor to the story of the Messiah who would come. And this vision served as affirmation to Jacob that he was indeed called by God and blessed by God and would receive the direction and provision and guidance of God. And in just the same way, Jesus was telling his followers that when you see this vision, you will know that I am indeed the one appointed by God to save you, to lead you. To fulfill his promises for you. Church, the story of Genesis chapter 28 is the story of God's sudden and unexpected interruption into the life of a sinner, a deceiver, who had got himself in a mess of trouble through his sin. But a story of God's transforming grace, grace that is greater than than all our sin. I ask you this morning, have you experienced the incredible, transforming grace of God? Grace that 
lead you away from a life that is all about you. A self-centered life and causes you to worship at the feet of the Almighty God and lead a Christ-centered life for, for the glory of God. The realization of God's gracious revelation results in devout devotion to Him. The realization of God's gracious revelation ought to lead those who have recognized God's revelation to respond with devout devotion to Him. Have you seen God's revelation? Have you responded to God's revelation with devotion to Him? Father, we thank You for the truths of Your Word this morning. We thank You that Your Word is good, that it is timeless, Lord, that it is exactly what You desired long ago to make known to us about You and who we are in light of Your plans. Father, we thank You for Your forgiveness. We thank You for Your transforming grace. We thank You for the cross of Christ that that declares believers by faith right with you. Father, may we respond to you today with reverence. May we respond to you in devotion. May we respond to you with substance as followers of Jesus Christ. Father, lead us to worship you today and always. Lead us to express a commitment to you that that fits what it is that you have done for us and who you are. Father, we love you. Lead us now as we respond to you through song. And it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen.